Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Thursday, the day after National Letter of Intent Day. Signing day, as we all call it. I guess it's now the late signing day since there's two now in the NCAA, but USC finished extremely strong going up from number 12 in the 247 Sports National Team Rankings all the way up to number four. A great close for Clay Helton and company, and we're going to break it all down today, the day after signing day. I have a very special guest, USC Assistant Athletic Director for Recruiting and Player Personnel, Eric Ziskin. He's all over this recruiting stuff, so he's going to kind enough to join us in a couple of minutes, and we're going to talk about USC's crazy close on signing day. There's so much uh, to get into, so we're really looking forward to uh, talking with Eric. I think you're going to enjoy uh, this episode, I think inside signing day, trying to get the, the behind the scenes stuff is always cool. And the problem is player. I mean, the coaches are not allowed to talk about signing day. So that's, I mean, that's a big reason why, you know, we do everything we do in reporting on recruiting coaches can't talk about these players or what's going on until they actually sign on the dotted line. Now they're signed. Now the day every all the coaches can talk about it. So we want to get some behind the scenes look at how USC put together this class, and we thought Eric Ziskin would be a great uh, way to do that. Picking his brain a little bit. Uh, before we jump into that, I wanted to thank everybody for listening and thank Lisa Mattress for being one of our sponsors. I want to encourage you to go to lisa.com slash USC and check out their products. So uh, this was the coolest thing that I've got as far as, you know, when we talk about uh, products on the podcast. I mean, the, the day I opened the door and looked at this big box, uh, that, you know, it wasn't a huge box. I mean, not something you would think a mattress was in. Uh, it's like it's the size of a box of golf clubs or something. So it was really cool. So they are, if you don't know, it's an innovative direct to consumer online mattress brand that's also very socially conscious. So they're driven to, they're by their mission to provide a better place to sleep for everybody. And they're going to donate one mattress to a shelter for every 10 they sell through their 110 program. So over 22,000 mattresses have donated, been donated so far. They also plant a tree for every mattress sold, and they donate 1% of their employees' time to volunteer for local causes. I love that because I love volunteering myself, so I try to do that every week. Um, so you can get them online. They also have a Lisa a Dream Gallery in Soho, New York, at Virginia Beach. Um, it's But you know the way you do it, you order it online. Uh, it's American made. It'll ship right to your door. You can try it for a hundred nights risk-free and free shipping, uh, as always. So, um, if you have a West Elm store near, you can actually go check one out or buy one there too. But the coolest thing I think is getting that thing, uh, come to your door. It's like a freeze dried mattress. It's all compressed and you open it up and fold it in half. And it takes about 24 hours to kind of like reinflate and get the full on, uh, uh, you know, so it's a full mattress again. So uh, it was a really cool experience. And the best part is for all of our listeners, you're going to get $100 off your Lisa mattress. So if you go to lisa.com slash USC, it's promo code USC or just lisa.com slash USC, you will get $100 off uh, your Lisa mattress. So definitely check it out. And if you do, 
uh, drop me an email and uh, let me know. We're actually selling. My wife is selling our old mattress uh, now because we're moving over to the Lisa one. So it's it's been it's been a really cool uh, experience with with Lisa and just like you know you can order stuff online. You never think you're getting a mattress online. So but it's a it's really neat. So they they do it well. All right. So as promised, we have our special guest, Eric Ziskin. He is USC's assistant athletic director for recruiting and player personnel. That's a whole lot to put on a business card. If people still put, do you still have a business card, Eric? Well, anyway, Eric, thanks for joining us. What's going on, man? And thanks for having me. My pleasure. Do you, do you have business cards or people it's all electronic now? Yeah, I have business cards, but they basically more just sit on the desk. <laughs> And especially dealing with dealing with the kids, they're not taking a business card all too often. <laughs> I've tried that before. Like even like Keely, like you know, she just graduated. She was our intern. She worked, you know, she's a reporter for us now. I like, oh, I printed out business cards for you. She's looking at me like, what the heck would you use these for? I'm like, okay, I'm a dinosaur. People don't do this stuff anymore. Um, but you yeah, can follow- you want to just put your your number right into my phone. Yeah, exactly. You can do that quick. Uh, follow Eric on Twitter at Eric E R I C, then Z underscore usc and uh he's a good follow on twitter especially on signing day because he's got these cryptic uh tweet messages that you might want to well which we'll you know probably talk to in a minute but i wanted to kind of get your role uh just to describe for people what's your role in the athletic department the football team like what are you you know you're an assistant athletic director but what is your main duties there i guess this could also be my title on, on on the on the business card, if you just put the recruiting guy, <laughs> that would that, that would pretty much sum it up. Anything and everything that has to do with any of the happenings within football recruiting, uh, it all goes through me. So everything from <clears throat> the film cut-ups that the coaches are sitting down to watch to suggesting to the coaches which one to focus on to helping the coaches uh, when they go out on the road deciding which schools they need to go to, which coaches they need to sit down with and, and check on some guys coming up in the future years uh, to, you know, Alex Rios is, is in charge of everything on campus once they get here. But obviously during that process, I'm here and assisting with that as well. And then we got, uh, everybody knows Gavin Morris and, and my direct assistant director of player personnel is Alex Collins, as well as um, our if I'm the recruiting guy, there's a graphics guy also. His name is Ryan Miller, who we all work together in to make the whole thing happen. Um, there's a lot of talk about these support staffs, and you guys are all part of that. You mentioned the team. It's not a very big team. I think you guys do, obviously, a great job. It's, this is a team that's closed on signing day year after year. Um, pretty much, It seems like every coach is able to do it really well, but Clay Helton's been, you know, has excelled at that. When you see that out there that like uh, Georgia might have like 60 people kind of doing what your team of three or four are doing, is that kind of like motivating? Is it discouraging? Or I mean, you must hear that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, we hear about it and we see some stuff out there about it. But just the way that I've worked and always worked is to worry about what we're doing here and doing everything we can here as, as best as we can. And maybe, maybe we are shorthanded, to be honest. I don't really even know. Um, of course, the more help we could get, we, we would love to take it, but, uh, we've, we felt like we've used the resources we have and, and we maximize everything we possibly can out of them. And that, that's all we can worry about. Yeah. I think it's, uh, I think the fan base out there, 
Uh, certainly fans can be very critical. They're always very supportive, it seems, of you guys and, and wanting to be able to get you guys more resources. But it is about being efficient in those resources, and uh, you guys do that in spades. And um, I wanted to congratulate you guys because it really was an amazing class. You're talking about uh, being outside of the top 10 on the 24-7 sports uh, you know, rankings as far as teams and then getting all the way into the top five, finishing at, at number four and finishing with the flurry um, you know, National Sign Day, a bunch of guys end up uh, committing. And um, just congratulations on that. And then I mean, maybe you want to talk about your your tweets. There's, I, t- I said at the top of the show in the intro, recruiting your, your coaches aren't allowed to say anything to the fans until everybody signs. So there's kind of like these cryptic ways, and you're kind of the, the liaison to let everyone know, hey, a fax just came in. Yeah, so uh, thank you on the, the congratulations for the class. We're obviously excited about the class as a whole and each of the each of the 18 new guys we brought in on scholarship. So we're 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 ready to to see what they've got once they get here. And you know, you always you always get a little bit of a different result when they get here on campus. Sometimes you're a hundred percent spot on on how a guy plays, and hopefully a few guys even positively surprised once they get here. Uh, but on the, the tweets. Um, like you said, we get the paperwork and sometimes USC takes a little bit longer or we have to wait until a kid has his, uh, his little announcement ceremony or, or whatever it is. But as soon as we get the paperwork, I like to let, let the fans know that the ball is actually rolling and there. There is some stuff coming in. So, and, and especially with this class, I knew that we were, we were going to bring more guys in than, uh, than on paper looked like we had space for. So I thought this year would be a, a curious watch to see how high the number got when people thought we probably couldn't get that many in. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And uh, that was actually the next point I wanted to talk to you about. Um, as the faxes came in, you would tweet out the extra. So if you don't know, he would tweet out a fight on emoji, like the, the, you know, the two fingers in the air. And then people would count like, oh, there's 16. There's And we do a scholarship distribution chart where that's, you know, what we feel, these are the players that are on scholarship and the breakdown of the class and everything. And when it was all said and done, um, I have 90 people on that chart right now. And obviously you're only allowed to have 85. Now we asked Clay Helton about that yesterday and he said, you know, we have room, but he wasn't going to make any announcements as far as that kind of stuff goes. So did you guys kind of know, I mean, there's always attrition, but when it's this close, did you kind of have a number in mind, like, okay, we feel these are the players that are not going to be here for whatever reason, so we'll have this many spots under that 85? Because, you know, for the last seven years or whatever, it's always been about the initial counters. This year, I think for the first time, you know, really since, like, the sanctions, those didn't matter. It was really about the 85 head count, and, and I'm curious about your plan for that going in. Yeah, uh, the short answer to the whole question there is, is of course we had a plan with coach and I sat down and we had a plan and sketched out and looked at all the different possibilities of who could be leaving for all the the million different reasons that it could be. If this happened, this is where we would end up. If that happened, this is where we would end up. So we knew there was obviously there was a number that we were uh, a little bit more comfortable with. And then there was a number that would be the absolute, absolute. This is, this would be very much to the edge. Um, 
and, but we knew. We, we knew where we were trying to get. We looked at the board of who's remaining at each position and, and the needs we had, and we looked at you know, how, how comfortable we felt with, uh, A, our current players, um, for their future here next year, and then the, the board and how comfortable we were with them actually choosing USC. And it, it all comes together yesterday. And then how much is that is fluid? Because, you know, guys will switch their mind at the end. Maybe you get a call from someone that's uh, interested and you're like, oh, we, you know, maybe we want to take this guy instead. Um, is there some fluidity there or does it get kind of rigid towards the end where you're like, nope, this is our plan. This is what we're doing. Well, nobody can mess up a good plan like a football coach. So <laughs> all, all, things, all things in recruiting are, are fluid. At, at all times, obviously there's, there's, you know, there's a, a plan and there's the idea of exactly what's going to happen and where it's going to go. But then a, when you're dealing with 17, 18 year old people who are being pulled in 97 different directions, things change in a hurry. Things change really, really fast. So there, there is a plan. There is, this is ideally what's going to happen, what we think is going to happen. But the reality of it is there's, there's always changes that nobody saw coming. Well, like part, like, I guess uh, you bring in six linebackers in this class and that was certainly a position of need. And you look at all the guys and they all look like studs, but it's really a third of your recruiting class (laughs) are linebackers. I don't know. It didn't seem like that was probably the plan going in, but then just, kind of opportunities arise you're like well we could move him here or whatever is, is that kind of one of those things where it just it was fluid where maybe when you wrote it down you're like six linebackers for the class of 2018 I, it just seems like hard that that would be the number you guys would have come up with yeah i think you said it exactly right if you if we sat down on signing day of 2000 of, of last year's class and the number that we put down for linebackers would not have been six and it wasn't six but, and we do do those, of course, we do do our projections and targets, but it's not a hard and fast rule that we have to sign this many. Uh, and Coach alluded to this yesterday about if we didn't get to a certain number at a certain position, it's not worth it to just take a player we don't believe in um, just to fill up that number on the depth chart because it looks better on paper. You have to bring in a kid, at every single kid that you as a staff believe in. And if it happened to be six linebackers this year that we thought, well, two things there, and I'll get to my second point next, but if it happened to be six linebackers that we believed in, the best football players are always going to play. They're always going to find a spot on the field to contribute no matter what, even if there's even if there's depth at their position. If they're great football players, they'll, they'll find a way. And my second point on it is, is, they're listed as six linebackers uh, on the internet and our class ended up as the fourth ranked class in the country, but significantly more important to us as a program is the way that we view these guys, both at positions and, and our own rankings within our program, because we don't always agree um, with the way at both positions and the, the stars and the rankings. We don't always agree with how the, the, the recruits are presented on the internet. I mean, the five stars and the top ranked class and all these things is awesome. And of course we, we enjoy uh, achieving those things, but we're always more concerned about what we thought about. This was the best 
<clears throat> linebacker or whatever it might be in the country. And then once they get here, they're actually making plays on the field and helping us contribute to national championships. Yeah, you're, you're good at these segues because that's what I was going to ask you about next. If that's if that's something you look at and, you know, you obviously have to trust your own evaluations and that's what you guys, that's your jobs, you know, and you got to bring them in, evaluate them and know guys that are going to fit your system. But it is a way when, you know, Clay Hilton goes up in front of uh, an audience or speaks to on the radio or whatever and can say, hey, it was the number, you know, someone, you know, like we do it at 24-7 Sports, a lot of people do it keep track of where you think these kids are ranked and you can say, well, they have the number four ranked thing in the country. It's a, it's a way to kind of something that the fans look at. You can kind of portray to them, but ultimately, right. It's like, it's about what you evaluate. If you think there's a two-star guy who's really a five-star, you don't care that he's not ranked very high according to the recruiting rankings. No, of course not. Obviously, obviously it's usually a good indication if, if enough uh, writers and enough people had an opinion of a kid that he's a five-star player. Usually that means he's pretty dang good. He's, <laughs> he's done something in the past couple of years that that said he's pretty good at football. But of course, and we've seen it over many years, not every five star turns into an all American. And you know, we've had guys in our program that were, <laughs> excuse me, were lower ranked guys uh, that have contributed a lot. Of Chenna Nuosu and Deontay Burnett immediately jumped to mind. And even in last year's signing class, I think Brandon Peely was one of our lower-ranked guys, and he played over two five-star defensive linemen at, his, at the same position as him. Another great segue, because you mentioned Deontay Burnett. He was a signing day switch blue shirt that I, I was actually at Sarah High School that day. When he announced for USC, I was kind of like, what? And um, <laughs> I had seen him uh, before when we were watching other kids at Sarah, and I asked Gerard Martinez, our recruiting analyst, I'm like, who's that? He's like, oh, DeAndre Burnett is going to Washington State. I'm like, dude, that guy's really good. And uh, so obviously you guys saw the same thing and were able to switch him. Um, the the impact of early signing periods, I wanted to see how that impacted you yesterday because a guy like Deontay Burnett probably would have signed in the early signing period and he wouldn't have been available. And obviously he had, you know, he had 1,100 yards last year. He was a huge part of this team. So I wanted to see how much this early signing period impacted you guys, especially a program that's able to kind of switch guys at the last minute where maybe uh, Oregon State or an Arizona couldn't do in the Pac-12. Yeah, I think he is pretty much the perfect example of how us at USC were most affected by the early signing period because all of those guys that we've watched throughout the season that we've liked, we've said, man, this guy's going to be a good player in our conference, but right now it just doesn't make sense to take him also because there's other players at other positions or even at his same position that we feel like his skill set fits our needs more. Um, as the board stands right now, those guys would still be left at, at the end of the process and we could call them on signing day and say, hey, this is this is uh, where we stand right now. Do you want to be a Trojan or not? And if they want to stick with where they were planning to go, great, that's best for them. Or if they want to come on the team, that we were offering them a scholarship because we believe in them and think that they could help us. But a lot of those options this year were gone. There, there, <clears throat> there wasn't very much left to do uh, to move on to other guys that we really thought were, were capable of contributing. And again, it goes back to, is it worth taking a, a reach that not everybody on staff believed in and could contribute just to fill up a spot 
I always think it's not. I think every kid that we bring needs to be an exceptional talent. And the, that exceptional talent is also part of, I think, why we closed the way we did in that a lot of a lot of programs all across the country didn't add or change all that much yesterday where we had, you know, we brought in eight more guys who the caliber of the player that we bring in here at USC, for whatever reason, they're always seems like they're always going to wait until signing day. They're always going to wait and wait and wait to make their announcement and their choice. And we made our, our big push to, to get those kind of guys here uh, yesterday. The, uh, you mentioned the staff agreeing, and I think that's one of, uh, one of the kind of mysteries, how that communication works. Cause you guys can be all over the country. Um, you had mentioned like Gavin Morris without the, you know, a 10th assistant without the running back coach, he was able to go on the road and, recruit and you'll see tweets from him and T Martin and a bunch of the guys, but you know, someone might offer somebody. And is there like a daily meeting where you're like, Hey, this is how, this is who we offer today, or this is what we like, or how does that communication work? Cause you're talking about, you know, a dozen or, you know, 15, 16 guys or whatever it is you got all the guys involved in this recruiting process. Everyone has different opinions. Everyone's seen different things. And uh, I, I imagine keeping all of that organized is, is gotta be a bit of a challenge. Well, that's where I come in and that's my, that's my daily challenge and <laughs> daily thing that I, that I deal with. So I guess closer to signing day here in the December and January contact period when all the coaches are out on the road, uh, my minutes on my phone plan pretty much goes up by a hundred times. <laughs> and there's, there's almost not a single phone call where I'm on the phone and it's not ringing from somebody else just checking in to make a, well, this is the conversation I had with this coach or this kid's uncle or this kid's cousin. And I ran into this 2019 guy out at practice and he looked like a stud. We got to make sure we put him down on the lists. And here's uh, the the next guy this coach told me about and, and all those things. But December and January, uh, I got a phone attached to my ear for, for two straight months, um, just making sure everybody knows what everybody else is finding out, where everybody else is going. Um but it's a it's a million balls in the air to juggle. But that's the that's the fun of it. Does it get? Can it get heated sometimes? You're like, no, I like this guy, or maybe the number. You know, you want to bring an extra linebacker versus an extra receiver, or anything like that. Is it? Is it? Are there really you know, strong discussions? And is it like Clay Helton who makes the final call? Like, hey, this is the direction we're going to go. Absolutely, it can get heated sometimes, and I'm usually right in the middle of it um, because there's always obviously the position coach and the coordinator have their opinion on, on a player. And I don't always agree. And that's a big part of my role is to present guys that I believe in. And I've found that, uh, that might be going other places or even that are, that are planning to come to USC. And I spend hours on hours watching film, both from camps, from off season events. And then of course, during the season, you know, I'm watching absolutely everything, every snap, offense, defense, special teams, even when the guy's on the sidelines, I'm trying to watch what he's doing to see if he's see if he's into it, cheering on his teammates, coaching up the guys, or if he's just sitting on the bench with his head down, um, just to get more of a feel and more information on how the guy's going to actually play and contribute when he's here. Uh, and putting all of that information that's possible to collect together uh, to present to the coaches to make sure we're making the best decisions. And I don't always agree. And I let that be known because it's, it's why coach Helton brought me here and 
his expectations of me. And the final decision, like you said, is always going to go to Coach Helton. There's times where he's like, he listens to, to me and the position coach and the coordinator and the entire staff. And he says, okay, but this is what we're going to do. Yeah. And once he makes that call, that that's what we're going to do. But he does listen to everybody's decision or uh, everybody's evaluations. And a lot of times, of course, everybody aligns, but sometimes uh, me and a position coach will, will butt heads a little bit. And, and that's part of it. Uh, and, and always will be, but I'm not here to make friends with the position coaches. Although I do uh, have great relationships with all of them when it comes down to the business side of it, I'm not here to make friends with them. We're here to, to bring in the best players that are going to help us win. Oh, all business. I love it. Um, the NFL aspect can, can creep into here, obviously with some players leaving early that opens up some spots or a guy like, so you have Deontay Burnett leaving early, Maybe that wasn't as expected or a Cameron Smith staying, how that impacts, you know, you still bring Cameron Smith stays. You still end up bringing six linebackers. I think you get involved in some of that NFL stuff too. How does that kind of play into all of this in the recruiting world? Um, the biggest, the biggest way that it, that it impacts me and, and the recruiting department and recruiting decisions is, is the spots that are remaining and the, the skill sets that are leaving the holes that it's leaving in the team that we got, we have to fill. And I think it m- m- less so than the fans see Cameron Smith leaving this year doesn't have so much of an effect on this signing class and who we need to immediately bring. So I'm going to say two things here that kind of contradict each other, but we bring kids here who we think can play who we expect to play, who we expect to compete and not to come and sit on the bench, but we also don't really genuinely expect them to come in as true freshmen and start and be all Americans. We have, we obviously love those guys who, who come and do that. You're a Dory Jackson's and, and uh, Robert Woods, those types of guys who come in and they're freshmen, all Americans. But if a player is playing and legitimately contributing as a true freshman, in the real world of football personnel and projections, that's a very, very good indication that the player is going to be really good. Yeah. Uh, those are guys you would like to have in the program, yeah. I guess. Yeah. We, we like to find <laughs> as many of those as possible. Um, but especially as, as the bodies get bigger uh, on your offensive and defensive line, it's harder and harder to really expect a, a true freshman to come and, and contribute. And we actually had had a few on, on both sides of the ball this year um, that were able to do it. But it's it's almost not fair of, of us to, to expect and to put that load on their shoulders as a true freshman to really expect them to come in and, and do it right away. Obviously, we love when they do, and some guys are, are capable of doing it, but that's not the – you know, I, my projections and my decisions are based on two, three years in advance. I don't look at, well, Cameron Smith left this year, so now we need to add another interior linebacker to replace him right away. You know, I'm looking at, I'm looking at in the next two years, who might be leaving early. Is Stephen Carr going to last four years, or is he going to probably head to the NFL in three years? Gotcha. Because that's why he came to USC in the first place. So I'm looking at if at the roster going forward to to plug and play the signing classes more years in advance than 
well, Biggie decided to stay, so that's going to affect what we're doing this year. The uh, official visits are always interesting. USC loves do- you guys love doing them in January when you know maybe someone from the Midwest comes in or and it's cold there and it's warm. Uh, you know when it's warm in LA. Um, was there a crazy? You know what was like maybe the craziest story from an official visit this weekend that you could that you could share? Was there anything that was kind of just like wow? I can't believe like this stuff this stuff happened on the official visit weekend. Uh, the first thing that jumps out to mind, I think, is just how few we ended up doing this year. We only had twenty six official visitors, and we brought in eighteen kids. Wow! Which is uh, which is a heck of a, a batting average, which we're we're proud of, of course, um, but. Last year we did 34, uh, and obviously we brought in a few more kids last year, or we ended up signing a few more kids last year. Um, but it was that was another thing with just the early signing period. We we had we only did 10 official visits the whole month of January, and I've been here when we've had 10 official visits and uh, 10 official visitors in one weekend. Um, so it was it was a a weird layout of how everything went, but. Let me think of a specific example from one weekend that that was interesting. Yeah, it's uh, if you only have ten, there's not that many crazy things kind of going on. I guess only twenty six. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you guys have. I, I bet you are probably the fewest in the in the country. I bet you of the top fifty ranked programs. I would guess that you guys brought the fewest in. Yeah, we don't really have a number on on what everybody else ha- has done, but I would. I would think we're certainly towards the bottom of that. And part of it has to do with our, our focus on doing it in January so that the coaches get to spend a lot more time with the prospects and their families. Um, because the, the funnel of the available and interested prospects obviously continuously kind of trims down and gets down to the guys that are really, really considering USC instead of just taking a trip to come see a new place or, or get a feel for it by the time we get to January and the guys that were really giving official visits to, we know who's seriously interested. They know where they're seriously interested in. Um, so we're left with the guys that are actually going to be considering USC. Well, that, now the rules are changing and uh, Clay Helton mentioned that yesterday with there's going to be spring official visits. I'd rather see the signing period moved up to like a July time frame or something instead of December when it's so busy already. But maybe kind of get your thoughts on that if you would like that to change and how your job's going to change now that there's another official visit period where they can come in in the spring. Well, it's definitely going to change, but I don't know yet. I don't have an answer for how it's going to change yet. We're just going to have to to go through it once or twice and see, but. I don't know exactly what the differences will be. Obviously, everything is, is more sped up, and you have to know uh, the directions you're going and, and gather a lot of your, your information and evaluations on kids a little bit easy earlier in the process because um, usually, obviously, that spring evaluation period when you're going out two times in the spring to watch these guys at practice is a big part of uh, <clears throat> figuring out how, how strongly you believe in a kid uh, that you've offered and, and those types of things. But now that's the same time as you're going to give a kid an official visit. And then you got to hold on for dear life all the way until even if it's the early signing period, it's quite some time before they're signing between their official visit. If they're taking it in the spring 
and signing. Yeah, there's so uh, it's uh it's gonna be a it's gonna be a big difference, but we'll uh, we'll adjust to it and make it work. Um, but it, it'll be interesting how how it changes. Um, uh, we've just been talking about the process. We haven't really got to talk about individual players. I feel bad. This was kind of our allotted time. Do you, do you want to spend a few minutes or do you got to go? If you have to go, no problem. I understand, but. Well, no, I could talk about this stuff all day. No, no worries. Just fire away. Okay. <laughs> I, I just feel bad. Like the process of stuff is really interesting. And since you're, I mean, you're involved in that so much, I mean, you're running that basically a lot of the time. So, um, you know, working with Johnny Nansen and everybody. So, uh. Yeah, I, all that stuff is really interesting, but there's players and there's some really good ones. Maybe we'll we don't have to go in depth on everything, but the the JT Daniels is the uh, you know that's the biggest thing. Um, you talk, I talked to him in uh, San Antonio about reclassifying when he was at the Army All American Bowl, and he had said people were suggesting it, and I heard him last night on the uh, I think it was the Fox Sports West show with Greg Biggins. And he had said, Greg had texted him, hey, I hear you're reclassifying. And he said he got the idea from basically a reporter suggesting that he heard that that was going to happen. But that's got to be one of the craziest things where you have a quarterback from 2019 reclassifying and coming in, especially when you only have two scholarship quarterbacks right now. And it was really important to, to get one in this class. Yeah, when he when he came to us with the idea, we we're obviously thrilled um and we we were towing a careful line of obviously we're stealing him basically away from his high school where his high school of course loves him and was expecting to have him next season uh at at the school that we're going to keep going back to with with the talent that they have there but if we when he came to us we basically said if that's what you and your family want to do then we'll start getting the ball rolling because obviously there's a lot of things that have to line up and make sure that it all happens to do all the academic work and the paperwork eligibility-wise that he needs to to shrink into three years of, of high school instead of four. So obviously we were thrilled and we think the world of him and we'll take him as soon as we can get him. Um, I want to talk about the cornerbacks a little bit. That was a big signing day. Koo, um, Elijah Griffin... Uh, and Isaac Taylor Stewart, uh, just really talented guys. What did you What did you see? And obviously, it seems like you guys were pretty happy. I I know Isaac Taylor Stewart said he didn't call you guys <laughs> until afterwards, and I asked Clay Helton about it. And he said, you know, you feel pretty good, but he really didn't know until uh, you know he saw uh, him put that hat on. But, but what what do you think about those two guys? Uh, special special talents, uh, playmakers with unbelievably high ceilings that uh, are going to help us uh, probably actually both of them on, on multiple sides of the ball, just with their ability to, um, to contribute offensively, special teams and, and defensively. And that's actually one of the things we look for in a high school corner. You actually want almost less of their film to be on defense because people understand that this is just a waste of time for me to try to attack this kid. Cause he's just, my receiver's not open over there. I'm not even going to look. So in, in at the high school level, your corners actually a lot of times do almost less on film on defense, the way that they contribute most to the game, you know, with, with things that are fun to watch with highlight plays is, is as returners on special teams and, and some, some spot duty on, on offense. The uh, receiver position. I mean, I don't know if anybody recruits 
more five-star guys at receiver than you uh, at USC. And sometimes some of the fans are like, oh, man, another great receiver. They almost get tired of it because there's so many good ones. But you look at Amon Ross St. Brown and, uh, you know, Devin Williams, I think, is a really intriguing player who can, you know, I've, I've seen him play really, really well in some of these camps and stuff. And, you know, other times not be as good. But I've never seen Amon Ross St. Brown, like, not just bring it. He's got a lot. <laughs> he's got a lot of moxie. Um, what do you think about the receiver position and bringing those two guys in? Isn't that like a like a meme or a hashtag first world problems? Yeah. <laughs> well, too many five star wide receivers is like hashtag USC problems. If people are getting bored and tired with more five star best in the best in the world type of wide receivers here, so I apologize to the fan base that we're bringing in more five star receivers. But hopefully, you guys can can handle it. Um, they, they can't. A lot both of, of these. <laughs> Both of these kids were were absolutely fired up. Like you said, Amon Ra is just a just an absolute competitor, <clears throat> and I think that's what makes him so great. Is that he so badly wants to be great? You know, he's a, he's of course a special athlete, but his mentality, his professionalism, and his desire to uh, continue to improve is what has gotten him to where he is now, and, and is going to take him to to uh, special places as well. Devin is a is a raw prospect. He's new to football. He's new to some of the techniques of it, but just his size, his fluidity, his ability to transition into routes at his size specifically is is what's so exciting about him. I mean, his ceiling is literally as as high as his eighty inch wingspan can can reach. I mean, which is a lot higher than a lot of other people. So he's He's got work to do, of course. He's a lot further along than a lot of other people in the country. But once he puts in that work, his, his what he can get to is is incredibly high. Yeah, I saw him at the opening, and he would have some games where he'd be like, you know, two touchdowns and a pick and a defense. And you're just like, dude, this guy's like all over the place. Uh, but, you know, we've seen him other times where he just wasn't doing that much. So he's a really intriguing prospect. Um Talano Hufunga uh, from Corvallis, Oregon. I got to meet him in Hawaii at the Polynesian Bowl and ch- chat with him. And I'm a pretty smart guy. And I was like, man, this dude's sharp. He uh, and he's a communications guy. And I, you know, and he talked about, you know, wanting to do like basically, you know, reporting and stuff sometime in his life. And so I had him interview a guy. You guys didn't end up getting uh, Penny Sewell, but um, he, I, he, I didn't even prompt him for questions. Uh, and he was he was doing a really good job. Like he was a seasoned pro. Uh, interviewing him, I thought he like he's instantly one of my favorite guys in this class. I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on him. Yeah, I mean, I agree with with everything you said there. He's just a professional. He it's almost it's almost weird how mature and professional he already is, uh, and even the way he approached the recruiting process is the same way. He, I've never seen it before in my life, but he printed out a, a grid of us and the other schools he was considering with all, it was about 25 different characteristics of what he was looking for in his school. And he literally put a check mark in each of the columns for the schools that this school has this, it doesn't have that, it does have this, it does. And by the end of it, he sat down and he said, okay, well, USC has a check mark in every single one of these. So what am I doing? I'm going to USC. And it's just, that mentality is, of course, it's a, something important for that Coach Helton is paying attention to, and we pay attention to in the evaluation process because we've we've found, you know, you're everybody is a great athlete at this level, but what makes the difference between Juju and Adoree type of guys is their brain, 
once they get here, their, their mental approach to life and to the game of football, uh, that's what makes a, a good player a special one. The uh, Marquis Step is an interesting uh, guy. I got to talk to him in Hawaii as well. He's someone that had a long-standing relationship with Dylan McCullough, who obviously moved on to the NFL, but he had already signed. Was there any kind of uh, concern there where you know he signed with someone that was close to him, or you know, with the, his position coach and not being there? And what do you kind of think of him as a player? Uh, there, there was definitely some concern there, but it, it went away quickly once we talked to Marquise and he and and Dylan talked to Marquise and let him know what he was planning to do. Um, but Marquise and his family was good with it. They understand the, the opportunity and they, they weren't uh, mad about it or anything. And, you know, at the end of the day, he's still, he's still coming to USC and we, we don't think it's such a bad thing that he has to come to USC and you know, over out here. We, we think USC is a pretty great place. And so to see, which is why he signed in the first place. Um, obviously he had that relationship with Dylan and that's who he's expecting to come play for. But, uh, our next coach will be another great one, and uh, Marquise is still excited to be here. As, as a player, uh, really excited about him. Uh, he's a different kind of style back that we even have on the roster at all uh, at 230 pounds, just a, a thumper, but also one with speed who can help us in some of those short yardage and goal line situations just to, to, to move the chains. Um, so we'll we'll get him get him healthy, continue getting him stronger, and excited to see what he does on on the field once he gets here. There's some big guys, uh, Justin Dietrich. You know, sometimes you recruit centers, and uh, you're not really sure. Like he's the, everyone I've talked to about Dietrich, and what I from what I've seen, just seems like he's an absolute terror uh, there. Um, what did you kind of think of uh, Dietrich and, and what he brings to the table? Dietrich is, is another one we're excited about. I mean, he does he does everything that you on paper you you put a checkbox down for an offensive lineman to to have. I mean, he's just he's just a jerk on the field. <laughs> I mean, he is, he is mean. He does not he does not uh, mind hitting you right in the face. I remember watching a, a game. He was having some problems with his helmet staying on. And he didn't block anybody any differently. One, his helmet pops off on plays, and he just keeps going, driving guys 12 yards back off the line of scrimmage, and then and then finishes right over them. No helmet on, just puts his face right on right on guys <laughs> with, without even face mask on. And I was like, yes, that is the type of guy that we need up front. He doesn't even care. He just wants to hit you. <laughs> nice. Um, where, like, on the other side, like Liam. Liam Douglas seems like more of a like a project where you kind of bring him in and uh, you know hopefully a couple of years down the road he's contributing. Yeah, and I think that that goes back to what I was talking about before. Of there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with a kid not playing immediately and taking a few years to a learn football or b put some weight on. I mean he's he's six five, two hundred and eighty five pounds now where that's significantly heavier than he was certainly last year and two years ago. Um, but that's okay. You know, we, we look at him, we see a six, five going to be 300 pounds one day, man, who's scoring touchdowns. He's playing running back last year. He returned a few kicks. Uh, that doesn't make sense at that size. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, and those are some of the things we're we're looking for in the athletes we bring here is what what's unique about him 
well, he does unique things to be so big, so athletic and be able to run and have ball skills and body control that he does. Um, is he going to take some time to learn the football and the techniques that coach Callaway will, will bring him? Yes, but there's nothing wrong with making a coach actually coach. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's yeah. You want to, I mean, Getting in talent is one thing. Developing is it's another job. So, but you got to evaluate and bring in the guys that'll fit. Um, right. The one the one thing you can't really change about an athlete is his is his athleticism. I mean, as much as they work out and train, of course they're going to get faster and, and quicker and, and stronger by a little bit. But the the raw ceiling of athleticism is pretty much thanks to mom and dad. And if you don't have <laughs> that, you really can't you can't really get it any, any higher. Personally, I lost at birth. I was, I could train for 24 hours a day and I would never be able to do the things that, that our players do. Um, but these guys can, and that's, that's what we're looking for. Those big, big bodies who can run, jump and, and do all the things that Liam does. So we're excited about him as well. We'll do a couple more. I'll let you go. I don't want to keep you the such a busy day yesterday. Um, the defensive lineman, uh, you know, bringing in uh, Caleb Tremblay, who's going to be a junior, and then Trevor Trout, kind of a big space eater. Uh, what do you think about those two guys? Really excited for him. Uh, Caleb is just a, a violent, active motor guy. I mean, he is going to chase and chase and chase. He'll work 192% on every single snap uh, and, and get to the quarterback. So he's a, he's really fun to watch on film, just always giving full full effort. And Trevor is just a absolutely massive human being, really strong, can change directions, but just is so large and impossible to move. Uh, so when you put him up front on your defense, it keeps two of those offensive linemen busy. Uh, and then your linebacker is free to, to trigger and get through the gap and make a play in the backfield. So he'll, uh, he'll help the, the whole defense function. The uh, There's six linebackers, like we mentioned, um, if anything kind of stands out to you with any one of them, I don't want to, we don't want to make you go through all these guys, but there, you know, there's a lot of them and they're all like really good. Is there someone like a couple of special features or players or whatever that you really uh, enjoyed would like to talk about? Well, I think as a whole, just, this is going to sound as a whole, the holes that we filled uh, two different kinds of holes, but <laughs> the, the linebacker class, helps us replace some of the guys that we that have left with Chenna and Rasheem, uh, some talented edge guys. One that I'm as highly regarded as the classes I might be most excited about Malik McLean versus his rankings. And he's ranked high, but I think the kid is really, really special. I mean, he, his family has, has roots down in Atlanta and he plays like those guys that you find down in the South. He is just unbelievably twitchy off the line he's really really long um so we're excited about the whole class as a whole but maybe him specifically i would i would call out as as a guy that i think is going to surprise surprise people with his ability yeah he's he's one it's funny his name comes up quite a bit so uh with you know as all the guys are ranked high but for him it might be yeah you know there's there's some upside here where Maybe not as uh, you know, not the five star like a Solomon Tuyalapupu or a Pallier Neoteote. Hopefully, I say that right. Um, but those two guys are—they're pretty special too, I would say. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, like I said, the the whole class is is really exciting. But those guys, just with their 
their football instincts and the violence and the way that they're able to use their hands. I mean, they're, they're, they're beyond their years as high school players. So it just the way on film that you can see, I mean, it seems like EA knows the play call before the play is run. And he, I mean, he tackles the running back before they have the ball all the time. How does he know what gap to trigger through? Well, he does somehow. He, he watches film, he studies it, and he just has the instincts uh, and the violence to uh, to make all the all the plays out on the field. So we can't wait to see what those guys do. All right, Eric Ziskin. You can follow him on Twitter at Eric E R I C Z underscore U S C. Certainly a good follow on Twitter. I'm sure your Twitter followers went up with all your uh, cryptic tweets and everything. Um, and then also he's the recruiting guy. He's USC's assistant athletic director for recruiting and player personnel and was our guest here today on the Peristyle Podcast. Eric, we really appreciate taking some time. Uh, thanks to USC coaching staff for letting you, uh, for clearing you to come on the show and, and sharing some insights. I thought it was really intriguing, all the behind-the-scenes stuff and, and certainly getting your thoughts on uh, these players. I think the fans are really fired up for this recruiting class. And uh, again, congratulations and thanks again for coming on. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. All right. All right. Thanks, Eric. And everyone else, thank you so much for tuning in to this edition of the Peristyle Podcast. A uh, very special guest, Eric Ziskin. We appreciate him coming on, and we appreciate you listening. Thanks again, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.